0: Welcome to those of you who are here for the first time. So glad you're with us. And of course, welcome to everyone else. And and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're back in our series in the book of Romans. And if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to go to Romans chapter 11. Maybe you have a paper, a digital copy. Uh, I think we do have some copies of Bibles at the back as well if you want to grab one of those. But we're going to be hanging out in Romans chapter 11 today, which is uh, quite a task. Uh, I've been complaining to the staff. For the past probably two months that, oh, I got to preach Romans 11, I got to preach Romans 11, because it's like one of the most challenging, head-spinning passages in Scripture. Um, but we're not going to go through the entire chapter today. We are actually going to spend some time landing on verses 16 to 25, and I'm going to read that today. I'm going to encourage you to follow along as I do that. Uh, then I'm going to pray. Uh, so let's look at Romans chapter 11, starting at verse 16. Oh, before we do that, let me just say as well, if you want copies of notes so you can follow along today, uh, thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes, and you can follow along uh, as we're going through this text. All right, let's get into the text. Romans chapter 11, verse 16. Here's what it says. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He says, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you... Although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, don't be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not be proud, but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity to those, uh, toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that by your Holy Spirit you would give us all understanding uh, to be able to wrap our heads and hearts around this very important text of Scripture. I I pray this morning, not only that, God, but that that you, by your Spirit, would get into the center of our hearts, um, that we might understand the gospel, that we might be shaped by it and transformed by it, that, God, we might become more and more like you and be a light to the nations. And so we just invite you this morning to work in us and through us as we go through your word together. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Uh, So a couple of days ago, I went to the gas station to fill up my truck, and uh, I was in a hurry. So I went to the nearest station. It wasn't a station I'd ever gone to uh, before. And when I got to the pump, there was a sign on the pump that said, sorry, auto pay is not available. Please go inside to pay for your gas. Ever had that happen before? It's like, ah, okay. And, you know, I'm in a hurry. So I was a little bit perturbed that I had to actually go inside there and pay for gas. And I'm like, man, I'm going to have to leave my credit card or whatnot. Get inside. There's a lineup of people waiting. There's only one person at the cashier. So I'm waiting, and people are taking their time. They're all chatty with the person at the cashier. You know, somebody's buying lottery tickets. You know, meanwhile, you know, I'm checking my watch. I'm rocking back and forth on the balls of my heels. I'm like a a prize thoroughbred waiting to burst out of the gate. So finally, I get to the counter to pay for the gas, and the person there asks me a question. They say, well, how much gas do you want? I'm like, how much gas do I want? What do you mean how much gas do I want? And then I looked out the window and I realized it's full serve. So, you know, now I'm really frustrated because now i got to get them to go out and fill my tank for me and then come back in and pay for it. And i got to wander around the store and probably buy something I don't really need to buy, right? So i, I, I got to say, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't happy, but it wasn't their fault. It was my fault. It was completely my fault, the fact that I was there. So how did I respond when she asked me that question? I confess to you today <laughs> that I did not speak kindly. It's not what I said. It's just, it's just how I said it, you know. And, you know, afterwards as I drove away, I was like, what's going on? What was that all about, you know? But I, I can imagine that while I said it, my inside voice was probably thinking something like this. Don't they understand that I'm in a hurry? Right? Don't they know that all time in the universe should bend towards my needs? Don't they understand that I am a very important person? Now, of course, I didn't say all that. I just thought it. So please pray for me. I need prayer just as much as you do. This morning, I want to talk to you about entitlement. What is entitlement? Here's a definition. It's the belief that you are inerrantly deserving of privileges or special treatment. You know, and I think entitlement is something that we can all struggle with, especially if you live in our part of the world. After all, most of us in this room today are wealthier than 99% of the world's population. If you have a household income of more than $34,000, you are wealthier than 99% of the planet, okay? So you have access to so much more than everybody else on this planet has. And because of that, um, you, you, you just can wrestle with this sense of entitlement. I mean, you have so much more. Think about it. You have food in your refrigerator, soft bed, running hot water, a good-paying job, the ability to vote, the ability to travel, eating in nice restaurants, owning an iPhone, access to the remote control, and Netflix. You know, so it is so very easy for us in, the, in this Western Hemisphere, and particularly in North America, To fall into the trap of entitlement when we have this much access. You know, and and it kind of creeps up on you. You sometimes don't even realize when you are acting entitled, especially when everybody else is doing it in our world. Like I said, entitlement's hard to spot, but most of us don't know it. But I was thinking about this the other day. Have you ever been at a, had somebody at your like small group or maybe a friend ask you to pray for them and to pray for their problem with entitlement? I have never, ever, ever prayed for anybody's challenge with entitlement, and I've never asked for it myself. And you know what the worst part about entitlement is? Is it can lead to other sins. It can lead to to anger towards those who get in the way of what I think I deserve. It can make me look down on, on, on other people who I think are less deserving than me. It can give me a false sense of security in my stuff and in my accomplishments. And it might even make me shake my fist at God when he doesn't uh, give me what I think I am owed. And And I've discovered, I don't know about you, but the best way to spot if you're entitled is to watch what happens. Just watch what happens when your stuff is taken away from you. Entitlement. Now, the Christians in Rome had their fair share of entitlement woes. When Paul wrote his letter to them nearly 2,000 years ago, uh, the church, if you've been tracking with us in the series, this won't be new to you, but the church had basically two people groups in it. Uh, There were the Jewish believers and the non-Jewish or Gentile believers. And, And there was some considerable tension between these two groups of people, enough tension that Paul decided to write them a rather lengthy letter about it. And each of these groups, generally speaking, struggled with their own sense of entitlement. I mean, on the one hand, the Jews may have felt entitled because of their heritage. After all, they were the biological ancestors of Abraham and the patriarchs. They were the people of the covenant. They were the, the, the elected people of God, elected from all the other nations, this one nation, to be a lighthouse to the world. They were a chosen people. They were a special people. They were more deserving, perhaps, even then, than the Gentiles. But on the other hand, the Gentiles may have had their own struggle with entitlement. Because, uh, entitlement because, because now, God had suddenly welcomed them in and included them in this new covenant. But they had a freedom that the Jewish believers did not have. They didn't have to keep all the same rituals as the Jewish believers did or thought they did. Things like food traditions and holy days and, oh, Lord forbid, circumcision. Okay? They didn't have to do any of that. They had freedom. They were maybe deserving. They were maybe special. And not only that... The Gentile believers got to stay in Rome. You see, six or seven years before Paul wrote this letter to, uh, to the Romans, the Emperor Claudius had all of the Jews expelled from the city of Rome. They, they were forced to pack up everything and just move to other different parts of the empire. But Claudius, I mean, he he mistakenly thought uh, that uh, Jews were associated with the Christian faith. He didn't know a lot about the Christian faith, but in the the empire at that time, there's this growing animosity towards Christians, right? And that kind of found its way all the way to the emperor, Claudius himself. And so he said, I got to do something about them. I don't want these people in Rome. But he just thought at the time that Christianity was just like another Jewish sect. So he basically punished all the Jews, forced them all out of Rome for a period. Now, eventually they did come back a number of years later. But the Gentiles didn't experience this. In the meantime, the Gentiles believers got to stay in Rome. And while they were there, they continued to follow Jesus. They chose new leaders. They flourished. And over time, they began to realize, oh, maybe we don't need to follow some of these Jewish practices and traditions that Jewish people were following. So no more food. Bacon's back on the menu. Okay, no more circumcision. That's off the agenda, right? No more holy days. We can begin to experience faith without these Gentile believers coming back. So, of course, when the Gentiles, when the Jewish believers came back there was considerable tension between these two groups. So maybe, just maybe, this helped the Gentile Christians feel just a little bit more entitled than the Jewish Christians. A little bit more disturbed, uh, this is a deserving. Hashtag blessed, you know what I'm saying? And in fact, when we get to chapter 13 in Romans and you read chapter 13 with this lens on, you'll get to understand it a little bit more about what's happening in Rome. But there's one more problem That's causing tension between these two groups. And this is kind of where we pick things up in Romans chapter 11 today. See, Jesus, the promised Messiah, had come. And Gentiles were running towards him in droves, becoming followers of this Jesus, the Messiah. However, not a lot of the Jews were doing the same thing. In fact, in the church in Rome, there were more Gentile believers than there were Jewish believers. And so the big question in Romans chapter 11, actually chapters 9 through 11, is this. It's like, what's going on? What's happening here? I mean, has God rejected the Jews? Has he, has he now chosen Gentiles and kind of left Israel hanging out to dry? What's going on with God? So it, when we get to the first part of chapter 11 in Romans, Paul answers this question. And his answer to this question is just very simply this. Has God abandoned his, his, his people of Israel? Of course not. After all, there were Jews today that were following Jesus. And Paul was, in fact, one of them. God had saved, Paul says, a remnant or a portion of his people. Um, So... This wasn't something new. This was something that God had done before. In the past, God had, had saved the remnant during the days of Elijah. Through the exile, God had saved the remnant of his people. And what Paul is saying is, says, yeah, even today, in this day, God is preserving a faithful remnant of his people. So no, he has not abandoned his people, Israel. Now, Paul's really clear about this. He says, now, it doesn't mean that this remnant who's still here are any more deserving And he reminds them that this remnant is is saved like everybody else. They're saved by grace. They're not saved by works. It's through faith in what God has done. It's not based on their own merits or that they're more deserving or anything like that. It's solely completely by faith. But then you read a little bit further on in Romans chapter 11. And Paul goes on to say something really extraordinary. And and this is actually the big idea of Romans 11. If If you want to know what's Romans 11 really all about, here's the big idea. He explains how Israel's rejection of Jesus, the Messiah, will eventually come about and work back in Israel's favor. So he says a couple of things. First of all, he says this. He says, Israel's rejection brought about the salvation to the Gentiles. In other words, because they chose to reject Jesus at first, it has opened the door for Gentile believers to receive the gospel. The gospel has gone beyond them and has gone to the ends of the earth so that they can hear about this amazing gospel that saves lives. So that's mind blowing when you think about it because this has actually been God's plan all along. And Paul's very clear about that in Romans chapter 11. Like, God actually, through the disobedience of Israel, is going to save the whole world. Like, nobody would have thought about that. Nobody would have planned on that. But then Paul goes on, he says, Israel's rejection will ultimately have a boomerang effect. In other words, it's going to actually turn around, it's going to come back, and it's going to help them. Because when all of these Gentiles are saved, Paul anticipates, it's actually going to help Israel to become jealous. So when they see how, how the, the non-Jewish people are actually experiencing the life-giving transformation of the gospel, how they are connected to Jesus the Messiah, and it's changing them, they'll be jealous, and they'll want what they have, and they'll turn around and come back to faith. That's what Paul is saying. So it's kind of like an older brother. You know, he doesn't want to attend his younger brother's party because it's going to be like lame, right? So he's like, I'm not coming, I'm going upstairs. Goes up to his room, he's hanging out there for a couple hours, but then he hears laughter and he hears a whole lot of fun going on. So he creeps out of his room, looks over down the balcony, he sees like these guys are having a really good time. So he kind of hangs his head and he goes back, goes down and says, okay, I guess I'm going to join the party because this is a really good time. It's kind of like that. It's a sense at first there's this reaction, no, but eventually when they see what's happening, they're going to come back. So no, Paul's saying, no, God has not rejected his people, and nobody should feel entitled in this group. Nobody should feel favored. Everything Paul would say, everything that's happening is going according to plan. Now, it's at this point that we finally get into today's scripture. Thanks for your patience. But yeah, I said all of that, so you can understand what this is all about. It took us a while to get here. Now, uh, to understand what Paul's saying in the text that we read today, I need to give you a quick lesson in grafting. I am not a horticultural expert, but I do Google. So I'm going to help you understand grafting today. In the, in the text we looked at today, Paul's talking about olive trees. And if you lived in the, the, the Middle East at that time, you'd have understood all about olive trees. They were everywhere. They were a main staple in everyone's diet. Everybody had a good idea in their minds of how olive trees worked. Um, olive trees are super hardy. As a matter of fact, olive trees can live hundreds of years. The oldest known olive tree in the world today is 1,500 years old. And you can take an olive tree and you can cut it all the way back down to, to, the, to the stump and it will grow again. It's just that hardy and that strong. So there's so much of the life of the olive tree that's just in its roots. It's rooted. Now, to illustrate this, I, I, I put together a very expensive and uh, sophisticated Object lesson this morning. If you thought this was just CrossPoint decoration, it's not. We, we can do better than that. Um, so, I thought, hey, what better way to pay attention than through props, right? I spared no expense on this. I blew the budget. Ugh. So I encourage you to continue giving to CrossPoint. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, this on, on, on this side is, is what we would call the wild olive tree. Okay. And I got some tape here. So Paul would say that, and, and in that day, there is a difference between a wild olive tree. Wild, okay. Okay. And a cultivated olive tree. Cultivated, okay. I know you all can't see it, but that's okay. All right. Oh, Rats. Rats. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay, now here we go. <laughs> Duct tape. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's cultivated. Oh, I wrecked it. Forget it. Okay, if it falls, I'll cry. Okay, there we go. Uh, so, so cultivated trees in Paul's day were carefully pruned. Gardeners would carefully prune the branches, and because they carefully pruned the branches, the result was lots of fruit. Very fruity. But there were also wild olive trees in Paul's days. So they just kind of left them out there. They didn't, nobody was cultivating them. and because, Now, the roots are hardy. They were very strong trees. But because the, the branches were not cultivated, they didn't produce a lot of fruit. Now, sometimes what gardeners would do in that day is they would take a branch from a cultivated tree, a cultivated branch, and they would graft it into a wild olive tree. Um, and and, and the, the, way, the way they do it is they take the branches on, the, on this tree and they cut them back to their little stumps. Then they make an incision in the stump and they take a branch off of here, slice up the end, put it in there, bind it, cover it with some mud or some other salve, right? And amazingly, this tree would begin to produce bountiful fruit from the grafted branch. It's, it's an amazing practice if you've, ever, if you've ever seen it done. You could probably do this... In your own backyard. I mean, Google it, YouTube it, you know, go down and get some choke cherry branches and come in and stab them into your spruce tree and see what happens, okay? So you could do this sort of thing yourself. So that was the typical practice, uh, and that was how grafting works. And, and this is going to help us understand what Paul is trying to tell us in today's text. Remember, he's trying to answer the question, has God rejected his people? And he's using this visual to help explain what God has done. Um, so in Paul's illustration, this tree here represents true Israel. It represents the people of the promise. It represents God's family tree, whereas the, the tree here would be, would be pagan and, and, and it would be Gentile, okay, non-Jewish people. okay. Uh, so let me just point out a few observations here and break this down for you so you, so you can uh, have a better understanding of what Paul's saying. So first of all, here's the first thing, is that Gentiles have been grafted into the family tree. Now, remember, the standard practice is to take a branch from the cultivated tree and to move it over into the wild tree, okay? What Paul is saying is that God has done just the opposite. The God, in His amazing grace, has taken a branch or taken Gentiles from the wild tree, and He's actually grafted them into the cultivated tree. And so, as a result of that... Gentiles, he says, have become people of the promise. And Paul's been making this argument all all throughout Romans. Uh, Remember, God's promise was to Abraham and his offspring, is that he would bless them, and that all nations would be blessed through them. Um, But Paul's argument is that, and he's making the case, is that when, when God said that, he wasn't just talking about Abraham's biological offspring. He was actually talking about his spiritual offspring, the people of faith, people who would put their faith in Christ. And so when, when Gentiles respond in faith to Christ and what he has done, they are grafted into true Israel. They're grafted into the, becoming people of the promise, okay? God's family tree. Now, the second uh, thing that Paul points out is that Jews, he said, some Jewish people have also been broken off from the family tree. I don't know if I can cut these off or not. Um, I might have a failure here. Nope, that's not going to happen. Okay, we're just going to go with it. <clears throat> there we go. Uh, yeah. Like I said, top drawer. Okay. He says, there are many Jews, because of their rejection of Jesus of the Messiah, have been broken off from the olive, uh, from the olive tree. So their hearts, he says, have been hardened because of unbelief. And, and, and as a result of that, they've been cut off from the eternal life support of the, God's family tree. So they are separated from God. And Paul has been, again, he's been making this case throughout Romans. I mean, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's not based on your biological tree that keeps you there. It's based upon faith that keeps you there. Now, at this point, Paul, if you're reading the, the, the letter, some of the Gentiles might have been like, yeah, yeah, this is awesome. I mean, we were grafted in, but our Jewish friends have been put out. And so they might start feeling this sense of entitlement, this sense of, yeah, we're all that, hashtag blessed. But Paul stops him. He says, I want to remind you of something. You did not get in this tree on your own merits. You did not get into this tree based on your own works. It is by grace, and it's by grace alone. It is only by faith in God's finished work through Jesus Christ on the cross that gets you into this tree. You did not deserve it. You did not earn it. There's only one thing that grafts you into this tree. And then Paul goes on to remind them of something else. Gentiles, he says, can still be broken off from this tree through unbelief. You can still be broken off from this tree because of unbelief. And this is a sobering warning. So Paul reminds the Gentile believers that God God has given you this tremendous gift. He's given each and every one of us this tremendous gift. He's given each and every one of us this gift of free will. You have the ability to choose. You can choose. And this runs through every chapter of the Bible. He says you can choose to follow Jesus in faith, or you can choose to not follow Jesus in faith. You can choose to believe in Jesus, and you can choose to reject them. And he says, listen, if if some of Israel can be broken off from this tree, you also can be broken off from this tree because God doesn't have favorites. He treats all people equally the same. Sobering thought. Now, to be clear, Paul is not talking about doubts in this text. He's talking about unbelief. And if you look at the context, particularly in verse 25, he means Outright rejecting Jesus, walking away, abandoning the faith. He's not talking about simply having doubts, because the reality is we all have doubts. There's many people in the Scripture that has doubts. Even the disciples in Matthew 28, when they saw Jesus, had doubts. He's not talking about doubts. He's talking about rejecting Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is that what gets us into the tree is the same thing that keeps us in the tree. It is our trust in Jesus, and that's why Paul in the text, as we read it today, invites us as his followers to continue in his kindness, continue in his kindness. Now, I'm sure when we start talking about all this, we all get a little bit nervous, we start shifting our seats, start looking at our shoes, right? We start to ask the question, well, can I then lose my salvation? Is that what Paul's talking about here? In other words, you know, I, I do something really stupid and something really sinful in my mind or in my behavior and then I walk out in front of a bus and I get hit by a bus. Does that mean that I'm going to be eternally separated from God for all of eternity because, you know, I, I, I looked at that person wrong or I thought angry thoughts about my mom. You know, I, I don't know what it is, okay? And then because of that, I'm going to lose my salvation. That's not what Paul is actually talking about here. Paul, Paul is not talking about losing your salvation. Paul is talking about choosing your salvation. He's saying, you have this beautiful gift from God of free will, and you can choose to believe, and you can choose to not believe. You can choose to reject Christ. And so in all of this, Paul says to the Gentiles, okay, listen, listen, don't become proud. You're not entitled to salvation. You don't deserve it. Instead, what you need to do is just fear the Lord. In other words, be filled with awe and respect at our God, who is also kind, but who also is severe. Because he's, also, he's merciful, but he's also just. Okay, finally, Paul says this. Paul says that Jews will ultimately one day be grafted in again. And, and this is the most amazing thing. Paul is saying, listen, God, God hasn't given up on his people. God hasn't given up on his, uh, the nation of Israel, on his promise to them. He said, they still have the opportunity to choose and to believe and put their faith and trust in Jesus. So even though they might be separated from God now, they can still be grafted in later. And grafted back into the tree. And what this, what this shows us and what this reveals to us is that we have a God of second chances. We've got a God of third chances, of hundreds chances, of thousands of chances. And that by our, our faith and putting our faith in him, we can go from being ungrafted to being grafted back into the tree. And if you read the rest of Romans, Paul's actually very, very optimistic about this. He says that one day all of Israel will be saved. In other words, He doesn't mean like every single person who's in Israel will be saved, but he's saying all true Israel, all those who decide that they're going to move back and and put their trust in Jesus will ultimately be saved. Um, And that's where this boomerang effect kind of comes into play. So their jealousy of the Gentiles will one day turn unbelieving Jews to Jesus. And when they do that, they will be grafted back into the tree. Paul is super optimistic about this. Now, of course, in our day, we don't know when or how that's going to happen, But this is Paul's hope, and this is the hope we find in Romans chapter 11. It's meant to be read as a very hopeful document. So, what does this have to do with entitlement? Well, I I, I think there's some things that we can learn about this that will help us, at least they help me, to wrestle entitlement to the ground, to help me remedy the problem of entitlement. So let me suggest today... Three takeaways for us as we consider entitlement. Number one, remember, remember what grafted you. You know, the Apostle Paul says that it is grace and it's grace alone that has grafted you into the tree. It is not by works. It's not based on your own merits. It's solely and simply by faith in God and what he has done through Jesus Christ. Grace is something that is freely given. If you deserve grace, then you're not receiving grace because grace is only a free gift. If you deserve it, it is not grace. And I think if we can learn anything from Paul this morning, it's simply this. God owes me nothing, but God gives me everything. We don't deserve anything. The only thing we deserve at the end of the day truly is to be discarded like a broken branch. The only thing we bring to the foot of the cross is our sin that put Jesus there. So the means and the way to overcome entitlement is to remind ourselves of the gospel every single day. Friends, we we need to speak this to each other into each other's lives. We need to live in this truth every single day. We need to remind ourselves of this truth every single day. God owes me nothing, but God gives me everything. Grace, so free. Remember what grafted you into the family tree. But second, remember you're not the only branch on this tree. See, everybody else, I don't know if you realize it, but everybody else on this tree comes onto the tree in exactly the same way. It is by grace, and it's through faith, and it's not by works. So what this means is, is that nobody actually deserves to be on this tree more than anybody else. And this is the, 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 the challenge that Paul has been trying to get across to this great Jewish and Gentile divide all throughout Scripture. He talks about it in, in Galatians chapter three verse 28. Here's what he says. He says, "There is neither Jew nor Greek. there is neither slave nor free. there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." So he's saying, "Listen, there is no person, there is no people group that is more deserving of grace. So it doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have on your wall. It doesn't matter if you've just entered into puberty or you've just entered into retirement. You can be vertically challenged. You can be horizontally advantaged. You can have a double X or an XY chromosome. You can be vaccinated or non-vaccinated. There are no second-class citizens in God's family tree. So it doesn't matter how much melanin you have in your skin. It doesn't matter what part of the world you come from. It doesn't matter if you're Russian or a Ukrainian, a Canadian or an American, a Jew or a Greek. You are not the only person in this family tree. Every branch came into this tree deserving nothing and yet receiving everything. We are all equals. We are one family. There's no room for entitlement in the kingdom of God. And when we act entitled... We miss the gospel by a mile. And we forget the grace that has brought us here. Finally, I would say that we need to remember to worship. See, the the bigger your sense of entitlement, the smaller your sense of gratitude. The greater your gratitude, the less your entitlement you know, Karen and I, we love to hike in the mountains. Sometimes we, we, we take these long and difficult and steep trails, uh, these inclines to get to some sort of an epic view when we're out hiking. Um, and when we arrive, we're like sweaty and we're exhausted and we're cut up by branches. And, but it's all worth it because just when we just get around that last bend and we arrive at the top and we look down and we see the world, we see it in a way that we could never see it from the bottom of the hill. It's breathtaking. And sometimes we're just filled with awe at just how amazing God's creation is. You know, at the end of Romans chapter 11, the apostle Paul is actually doing just that. He's looking back, he's stepping back, and he's looking at the immense majesty of the gospel. He's kind of just pondering the big picture of all that God has done, how God has somehow used these strange events to shape the course of human history so that all people can be saved. And I can imagine him in that moment just kind of setting down his quill and his parchment and pushing his chair back and his mind's exploding in awe of all that God has done. Gratitude is coursing through his veins. And all he can do in that moment is just to stand up and to worship. And then he sits back down and he pens the final few verses of Romans chapter 11. An expression of praise. A beautiful doxology that is just bears repeating again and again. So I'd like to read that doxology for us this morning. And after that, I want to invite us to dispel entitlement through praise. We're going to sing a final song together. Here's what Paul writes, thinking about everything he's written in Romans 11. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And and who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift? They might have to be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. And to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. And I'll invite the band. Lord, would you... Teach us to worship. And but God, do you press our hearts deeper into the gospel every single day? And God, would you forgive us for our false sense of entitlement? We are not worthy, but you are. We are not deserving, but you are. And all that we have is because of you and you alone. And so we turn our hearts to you in worship today. And we believe